Welcome to Stelligence DevOps on AWS Radio with your hosts, Paul Duvall and Brian Jakovich. Welcome to the 26th episode of DevOps on AWS Radio. I'm your host, Paul Duvall, Chief AWS Evangelist at Emphasis. Um, I'm recording this from one of the last days at uh, AWS reInvent in Las Vegas, 2019. Um, I had a conversation last week prior to reInvent um, with Michael Wittig. Um, and uh, so we were uh, anticipating or wondering what, what was going to be announced. Um, at the time that it's recording, we now know uh, some of the announcements like I, I am Access Analyzer, uh, Amazon CoGuru, Amazon Detective, um, EKS Fargate. We're actually um, at uh, Emphasis, uh, Emphasis Intelligent. We're going to have a webinar and a blog post coming out uh, about a week or so after reInvent. And so we'll get into more detail on that. Um, but when I was talking with Michael, uh, we didn't yet know uh, some of those announcements. Um, but we did get into a book that he and his brother Andreas uh, published, um, which is called Rapid Docker on AWS. And uh, it has a lot of examples. It takes um, the reader through and basically makes an assumption that uh, they've never used AWS or uh, Docker and takes them step by step. It has a, a multiple examples, PHP, Ruby, Python, uh, and so on. So we, we talk about that and the approach that they use in the book. Um, what we were hoping to hear uh, from reInvent around containers and CloudFormation, things like that. We went over their podcast, uh, which has been out uh, since August. Um, so just a few months, but they already have 10 episodes out. They have a really unique approach that they use where they, uh, they don't tell the other what they're going to be uh, discussing uh, on the podcast and then just, uh, and then just talk through it. So it's, uh, it's a really cool idea. Uh, so Michael goes over some of the do's and don'ts uh, of containers on AWS. And Michael, is a, he's an AWS community hero. Uh, and he and his brother, Andreas, uh, have a consulting uh, firm uh, that has been working uh, with customers, uh, they're based in Germany, uh, working with customers on AWS for the past five plus years or so. Um, but so we go over some of the do's and don'ts, uh, some of the cost related issues, um, talk about an open source tool that they have called CFN modules. Um, so we guess get into some of the uh, features and facets of um, CloudFormation. Um, and, and then we talk about you know, there's a lot of hype around serverless, but we talk about why uh, people should consider containers um, first, uh, especially in enterprises. Um, and and also the approach that they use in the book is around kind of really utilizing serverless capabilities um, around containers. So um, it's not just, you know, containers or serverless. So you can still go containers and kind of think, uh, with a serverless mindset. Um, they, in the book, they go over continuous um, in integration, continuous uh, deployment, um, using things like, you know, some of the code services as well. And so it's, it's a wide-ranging discussion around containers on AWS. Um, and so uh, here's my discussion with Michael Wittig. Okay, so now we're joined by Michael Wittig. Michael, welcome to the podcast. So we're recording this a week before reInvent uh, 2019. And so I just wanted to start things off by getting your thoughts on uh, what do you expect uh, or you hope to hear out of reInvent? Yeah, thank you, Paul. So I'm actually boarding a plane on Sunday. Um, so to be 
at reInvent on, on Sunday as well. And I'm, I think so my, my biggest wish is that we get CloudFormation coverage uh, for everything from day one, yeah. but I'm not sure if this will be announced. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah. So besides that, I'm 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 interested in all the uh, container stuff that that might be released, and I'm also surprised about what was already released in the previous days. So I think that's one of the. Uh, it was never so crazy than than this year. So so many releases are already uh, out there. So it's really hard for me already to catch up with all the new stuff. So I I'm not sure how I survive reinvent this time. <laughs> Right. so many new things it definitely makes you wonder right uh, if they've announced all of this all these other uh, in new services and features what are they going to announce next week it's going to be yes be wild yeah so um how many reinvents have you been to so far uh so i think it it's the the fourth reinvent that i will attend so i think you have been at a few more reinvents than i have a few more yeah yeah i went yeah. to the very first one so this is my eighth one Okay. Um, so not not gonna miss one. <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah, you haven't missed one. Yeah, that that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's gonna be, I guess, a little bit of a change this year. The um, the keynote with Andy Jassy, CEO of uh, AWS, is gonna be on Tuesday morning, and then um, Werner's well, he'll be speaking on Thursday as well, like he normally does. So. Uh, that'll be a little bit of a change, but uh, all right. Well, great. Well, hopefully uh, we get a chance to uh, catch up in person um, when we're there. And you know, speaking of podcasts, um, I know that you and Andreas have actually released a new podcast, and I think you might you have close to ten episodes already. But uh, you just released it in August, I believe. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, what you're doing there? Um, yeah. So we we actually recorded uh, a new episode in the morning today. So the the concept behind the podcast is that um, either Andrea, Andreas or me prepare a topic and then we basically present it to the other one. And this sometimes leads to interesting questions because then I just ask Andreas a question if I don't understand something properly or if I have some additional ideas. And so this is kind of, yeah, I think we have topics that are sometimes very uh, cover niche services. For example, we talked about Global Accelerator last time. So this is a service that maybe not everyone is is using, and so you always like the listeners also get a chance to to get some insights about services that they might not use every day, um, but we also talk about stuff that is more commonly used. Yeah, and we started um, in in August. Um, that's I think that's correct, and we are close to ten episodes, and it's really a lot of fun. And so that's probably the reason why we are doing it, and so far we we enjoy it. Yes. And so you're saying the other person, so Andreas doesn't know what you're going to present on for that podcast. Is that right? Yeah. So usually that's that's the case. Yeah. So so for example, I I, I prepared something about the new savings plans features today. Um, so I presented this to Andreas, and it turns out that he actually read the announcement post. So he was familiar with the service, but he was not using it. Uh, so I could add some details for him as well. But also, I mean, the listeners are um, actually our audience, so they right. can benefit uh, no matter if Andreas knows about the topic or not. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I really love the uh, the concept that you're using there. So, yeah, looking forward to hearing more. I heard the one that you did on uh, AWS Code Build, and having used I used Code Build from you know in the beta, you know, private beta way before it was ever announced back in 2016, oh, yeah. and I learned several things. Uh, and, and in particular, it was like just the fact that 
you were talking about using code build, you know, without co-pipeline, because in my mind, like I never really considered that personally, but it was just, it was a great discussion, but it was, um, you know, just a sort of a great concept to, to think about and, and, you know, just consider different ways. And, you know, the fact that you're, you're, you're both curious clearly and, you know, some of the questions that, that each of you is asking of the other in terms of what, what you normally do and how you work with your customers and, and things like that. So it was, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more. And so you've also written a book. It's, uh, is it only an ebook or is it, are you able to get the hard copy as well? We are working on it, yes. Uh, so it's, it's only um, an ebook at the moment. So we are thinking mm-hmm. about a printed version, but uh, that's not so easy actually. And so yeah. because we do it um, like without a publisher this time, so it's our second book. And yeah, so it, it, it seems that most people prefer ebooks. Uh, so that's why we have not yet figured out how to actually print them. I mean, there are ways to print them, but then they look, they don't look very, very uh, high quality. And if sure. you print it, then it should really look very nice. So yeah, we are looking into it, but uh, we haven't yet figured out something. And the, the, the book is actually about um, Docker uh, and how you can run Docker workloads on AWS. And we, we present one solution, like the best way to run Docker workloads on AWS and, and best as, as we think it, it is best. Uh, I mean, there are many ways to do it. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the topic of the new book. And, and so your first book was Amazon Web Services in Action. That was through Manning, right? And yeah. that's, you cover a lot of the uh, AWS services in that book. And so in Rapid Docker on, on AWS, what do you get into? Yeah, so the idea is that um, if you have an application running um, maybe uh, in, uh, in, in in your data center and you are basically looking into ways to migrate this to AWS, then we provide you with everything that you need, uh, starting from dockerizing your application uh, up to um, running your application locally with Docker. And then we uh, move things to AWS where we use uh, Fargate, which is a very a convenient way to run containers on AWS where you don't have to manage uh, infrastructure. So you just care about your Docker image, basically. And then we also connect it to a Aurora serverless database, which is, again, a database engine that's MySQL or Postgres compatible, which uh, is very uh, low effort to maintain or to operate. Uh, so those are basically the, the building blocks connected with an application load balancer. And then at the end of the book, we even uh, wrap a, a deployment pipeline around everything so that you can really, if you push into your uh, code commit repository, we start the pipeline and deploy, build the Docker images, push them, and then deploy them into your cluster. So the goal was uh, to have an architecture that is a good choice also for small teams because, I mean, if you operate a big cluster, that's a lot of work and, and we see a lot of uh, of our customers struggle with that. And so we, we uh, created this, this approach. And I think it's really, it's a very good time to run containers on AWS today because it's really, uh, it improved a lot uh, compared to a few years before. Right. And so you mentioned some of the uh, AWS services that you're using. I mean, clearly you've taken a premise in the book of only using the managed AWS services, right? Yes. So, and that, that was also um, very important to us um, to to really make like the, the the title is Rapid Docker and AWS, and this is what we like what we uh, think about if we talk about Rapid. That's really it's easy to or it's easy to get started. It's also low effort to to run it. 
And so that's kind of the ideas behind the book. Yeah. And in terms of, I mean, you have a, a lot of examples. So I've gotten through about a third of the book so far and you take, I mean, you don't need to know AWS, right? You don't need to know Docker. Uh, and you take the readers through every single step, uh, literally the commands they need to write um, in order to, you know, basically spin up Docker, uh, deploy to ECS, um, really every you know, set up the database, set up the application, ALB, everything, right? Yeah. So, and that was also like important to us because, I mean, there are many examples out there, and and what we have, our goal was that if you are an application developer that uses a certain framework, so for example, you are a Ruby on Rails developer, or you are a Python Django developer, or maybe you are a Spring Boot developer, that we basically you start with your own application and we provide an example that matches with your framework, and you can start from this example and apply to your own project. So that was very important to us. And um, that's actually pretty complicated. As you know, I mean, there are many edge cases and things that, that work a little bit differently with, with this framework and that framework and how to configure everything and things like this. So the details are important here and they are very specific to the programming language and also the framework that you use to build your application. And that was the goal this time to be really uh, or connect the dots even closer for existing applications and help in the like with the migration efforts that that are needed to to actually dockerize the application. So what are the what are some of the do's and don'ts that you get into in terms of dockerizing applications? Yeah, so we we think it's I mean one of the the golden rule is um, that we try to follow is that there should be only one process running in a container, which makes things much more easier to reason about. And so that's definitely a good idea. So, and, and so you're saying like if you're running like a uh, PHP application in a database that you're running those in each in separate containers. Yeah. So for example, with the PHP example, we have an Nginx container and then we have a PHP FPM container and the Nginx proxies to the PHP FPM container for PHP files while the static files are served by the Nginx container. And the database is um, in production. It's provided by Aurora Serverless. And if you run it locally with Docker Compose, then the, the database is also just another container in this in this picture, yeah. And so, yeah, talk about Docker Compose. Why would someone want to use that? Yeah, so it's it's an option to, with a single command, it's, and the command is Docker Compose up, you can start multiple containers that form a service. So, for example, you could start the Nginx container with the PHP container and the MySQL container. And Docker Compose basically does a lot of things, uh, plus it starts the containers uh, for you in the right order. So that's kind of the benefits and it's really easy for local uh, in local setups to use docker compose to spin up the whole environment and also you can shut it down with with a single command so that's a again an an approach that that works uh, uh very uh, or it is a low effort approach to do things i mean you could also have more complicated versions to start your containers but we think that is enough for local environments to to do it with docker, docker compose yeah and what are the what are some of the different options uh, in which you can deploy containers on aws and then how do they differ let's start with the option that that we uh, actually use in the book and that's fargate and Fargate in combination with ECS. So it's again, a lot of things that you actually, or that you have to know about, uh, or kind of have to know about to use it. But these two services combined are uh, providing you a platform where you can run a Docker container. Basically you specify a Docker image and then 
Fargate and ECS run those containers for you. So that's from an uh, operational perspective. It's the option where you have only the, or your, the only responsibility that you have is you have to pro- uh, prepare and provide the Docker image. So you can also run your containers on ECS without Fargate. In this case, you have a fleet of EC2 instances running that are connected to the ECS API and they form a cluster. So that's another option that you can um, uh, use. And the benefits here are that um, depending on how many containers you run, it, it, it could be much cheaper compared to the Fargate option. And there's also some changes here that, that were announced recently, so we can talk about them them later. But um, it, it is, for some workloads, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, to, to use Fargate because of the costs. And then other options are Elastic Beanstalk, uh, or you can also run it on plain EC2 or on EKS as well, yeah. So clearly you, you mentioned AWS Fargate, right? Um, AWS Fargate is the service that you use in, in your book, uh, the Rapid Docker book. So how does has Fargate changed things when it comes to running containers on AWS? Yeah, so it replaces the EC2 instances that we had to manage as customers of ECS before. So there are no EC2 instances involved anymore. And the billing is very flexible, so you pay per second the container is running. Um, so that's, I think, the biggest change that, that Fargate introduced. There were also some changes on the networking level. Um, so basically, every container or every task in ECS language gets its own network uh, interface. So it it really it really works and feels similar to an EC2 instance. So you have an IAM role attached, you have a security group attached, um, but it's not a virtual machine; it's just a container. So I, I think it's really uh, or AWS did a very good job at providing the same primitives that we have in EC2 to ECS as well, and I really like this. And then how do you go about monitoring uh, the containers, uh, AWS services? Yeah, so the what we get out of the box is, is CloudWatch. Um, so it, uh, we get like metrics uh, like CPU and, and memory utilization uh, on a task level, also on a service level. So that's, depending on your needs, that, that is already enough. Um, if this is not enough, um, there's also a new feature that is, um, I think it's called CloudWatch Container Insights, which provides a little bit more details. But this is not, uh, it's, it's was re- it was released, uh, I think, a few months before or something. So it's not yet uh, fully uh, usable. But um, I think it, it, it improves uh, what we get out of the box with AWS. Then I also like the logs are automatically uh, pushed to CloudWatch logs. Um, with Fargate, so you get most of the stuff that you need for most applications is there, I think. Um, so we don't ha- edit anything on top of it uh, in our book, but that's possible um, as well. Okay. Uh, and do you utilize uh, CloudWatch event rules in any way in this con- in the uh, context of containers? I don't think so. I think we have a CloudWatch event rule to notify us about uh, failed builds, um, but I don't think we have a CloudWatch event rule about ECS, yeah. but I'm not 100% sure. Got it. Yeah. And then container insights, I guess that just builds off of the, ins, the CloudWatch. Insights. It's like a machine learning capability that's been added, right? Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, it adds a few metrics that are not available uh, without it. So for example, you get metrics about how many or, or what share of your CPU 
cores that are available are actually used and and you get also a network metrics i think they are not there by default um also storage metrics which are not there by default so they they also increase the metrics somehow but yeah i I'm not quite sure how they uh, how we can benefit from them. So I, I turned them on uh, a few weeks before, and and I still figure out how it how it can be uh, of use. Yeah. So you make use of CloudFormation a, a lot of CloudFormation um, in the book, um, and in particular, you're using. Um, it, I think I'm correct in saying you're using a CFN modules, which is an open source uh, tool that you've written. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So the I mean, we really like CloudFormation, so Andreas and, and me, and I think that's also true for for um, for Stelligant. Um, but um, there are some problems with CloudFormation, and and one problem is that it's really hard, or it was really hard, to reuse components. So, for example, the Aurora Serverless cluster for MySQL that we use in the book, uh, the template looks the same no matter if this is in PHP application or an internal application or a batch processing system. So it's it's always the same kind of template that we use. And we made, with CloudFormation modules, we, we actually, so this is our second try uh, to, to make CloudFormation modules reusable. And our first approach was we had a, or the templates uh, use or were scoped uh, broader. So there were, was more included in a single template. And with CFN modules, we are, so a, a module, uh, the scope of a module is smaller. So you need, usually you need 10 modules or something like this to to achieve a goal. And with our old templates, which are still maintained and we still use in many projects, you use two or three templates and then everything works. So it's, we hope that it, it is more modular. And the thing is, hmm. uh, at the same time, or basically one week after we released uh, the, the modules, and the CDK was uh, announced, and we are still not sure how the CDK does the same thing. And we also thought about how can we migrate our stuff to the CDK. And so, yeah, it's it's still the territory, I think, is not yet completely settled. So we are still discovering how, how we can do things uh, efficiently on AWS. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you have the, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but, you know, you have the CloudFormation registry and CloudFormation CLI that just got announced where you can create your own resource providers. So that'll be, that'll add some intrigue in terms of, uh, you know, how you go about solving these uh, in the future. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, one is, so the modules one, right, is more of a declarative approach, and then the CDK is more of the imperative approach. Yeah, and I think what, but it's also like what what we provide with with the templates, no matter if the like the the, the first iteration or the the modules, is that there's a lot of opinion in our templates, and so this is how we think it should work out of the box. And AWS, so this is at least my kind of feeling, is that they shy away a little bit from filling out all the default values because I mean in some cases they don't work properly, so they, I think that's at least my impression. They prefer to not fill in the defaults because. I mean, there could be cases where they are not reasonable. Uh, and this is what we do. We, we have most of the, the, the settings are uh, optional. So we provide a lot of defaults. And for most cases, it, it works. Um, and then there are some edge cases where you have to tweak settings. So. Right, right. So yeah, you know, AWS wants to give all the customers so many choices. Um, sometimes those choices can be, become overwhelming yeah. for sure. Yeah, so yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, hype uh, around serverless, right? 
And so you're talking about containers, and there's a lot of hype around serverless. And I'll admit, I'm I'm one of those people. <laughs> I'm one of the I'm part of the serverless hype. Uh, you know, I think serverless is definitely the future going forward. But let's talk about why we should be thinking about containers uh, right now, and maybe a different approach to containers. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I I also like the serverless approach and the Lambda approach. Um, and we also, I mean, we created software as a service uh, uh, things with, with Lambda. And, and I, I think it works pretty good. But what we see with customers is, for example, uh, and also in migrations, uh, they have existing applications and they are like years away from writing this stuff or rewriting this stuff that in a way that it fits into the Lambda function model. Mm-hmm. And so they need a way to run their stuff on AWS that is like existing code. And I think Fargate and containers are a really good fit for this use case because you can still run it locally and you can also run it on AWS. And in theory, it's pretty easy to move to another cloud vendor as well. So it, it provides a lot of flexibility um, and it also works with existing applications. Mm-hmm. If I would start a new project today, um, I likely would choose AWS Lambda. But for example, if you have a lot of developers uh, that are used to a technology that doesn't make so much sense with AWS Lambda, then it still could be a valid choice to, to write something that, that, that is cloud native, but runs on Fargate. So mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if, if Lambda is the answer to everything because I also see how fast teams are with, for example, uh, Spring Boot and, and, and frameworks like that. And it's really amazing how fast they can do something with those frameworks. And if you want to do it with Lambda, you need, I mean, you need a lot of time and understanding about all those pieces that you have to glue together to to achieve something similar. Mm-hmm. And of course, it is more scalable and it's more reliable than everything that you build with uh, with your Spring Boot framework on, on a container. But But still, I think the productivity for most of the teams is at the moment higher if they run their stuff in a container, yeah. Right. So you're really seeking the middle ground in this, right? Because you're getting a lot of the serverless-like capabilities with Fargate and Aurora Serverless, but then you're able to bring a lot of that, you know, developers are able to bring a lot of that thought process that they already have, so they don't need to change. I mean, when you, it's, it's a whole new approach when you start thinking about serverless, right? So you're sort of getting the best of both, I think, in, in the approach that you're, uh, yeah. that you're uh, advocating. Yeah, and I think it also has to kind of fit the, like the type of application you want to run on AWS. And so we see like at least the the, 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 the like the enterprise clients that we work with, they have a lot of internal applications. So they don't have any requirements regarding scalability usually. And they also don't care if they pay for idle or not, because I mean, depending or compared to what they spend for this application on premises, it, mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't matter if you run it on Fargate or or somewhere else, it is always much cheaper. And so they, they don't benefit from this scale down to zero that much. And they also don't have the, the scalability requirements. So in those cases, I think it's, it's, it's valid yeah, to, to, to choose a Fargate. And so in the um, latter part of your book, you go over a continuous deployment, uh, right? And you go over a continuous deployment solution. So maybe you could talk about your thoughts on that and how to build a a deployment pipeline, whether it's, you know, with, you know, in your podcast, you talked about, you know, use, creating a pipeline with the build phases with just code build. 
Um, so that's an approach. And another approach is with co-pipelines. Maybe just talk about those, those different ways of thinking of it. Yeah, so the, the story behind uh, this is that um, I was actually in a workshop and there I, bas I I demonstrated how you can do continuous deployment on AWS and I showed the team how code pipeline works and then if they actually want to do something, they have to integrate with code build. And the team, after I think 30 or, or 60 minutes, they just interrupted me and asked me, okay, so if you compare this to what we have with uh, Circle CI, Travis CI, all the other uh, solutions that are out there where you have a single file where you define everything that needs to be done in the pipeline. If you compare this to what you have to do with code pipeline, um, it is much more complicated and why should we learn this? Uh, and I actually, there was I there was no answer to this question, a good answer that I can came up with. So it is it is complicated. And if your pipelines are really complex and if there are a lot of stuff is going on in parallel and things like this, then I think code pipeline makes a lot of sense. But if you just use it more or less like a circle CI file, then it is much simpler if you just use code build without the pipeline. <laughs> and you can still have a pipeline in code build, but it, it just it runs things like sequentially one step after the other step. And that's what you get from code build and it, it works. Uh, so that's why uh, again, in the rapid, uh, like the rapid approach is if you don't need code pipeline um, because you don't have a very complex process uh, when you deploy things, then I think it's faster if you just go with code build. And, and why should someone switch from something like a Travis or Circle to, to using just AWS code build? Yeah, so the, the main argument that, that I think is important is security. So with code build, you get a very nice integration into the AWS IAM uh, world. Uh, you can attach a role. I mean, you can also do this with Travis and then most people, I mean, from what I observe is uh, most teams don't create a role or a user for every pipeline and then add the credentials into the configuration and then also rotate the credentials. I mean, that's a lot of effort. And so if you want to get rid of all these problems, then it's easier if you run it on code build. So you were talking about before with AWS Fargate and how it can actually, you know, as if depending on you, how you set up your architecture with the EC2 clusters, that uh, the EC2 cluster approach can be less costly than Fargate. But Fargate recently announced some savings plans in order to reduce your Fargate bill. Maybe you can share more on that. The thing was like in the past, and this is I think a, a few, I think two weeks before, if you compare the Fargate price to what you can get on EC2 with a reserved instance, the Fargate price was 70% higher than what you could achieve with EC2 and reserved instances. And that's a pretty high premium that you have to pay. And it's for most teams that it's a difficult uh, argument that you have to uh, uh, like make a, or what, what's the benefit uh, that you get that, that is, uh, or that justifies those 70%. And since we have savings plans now, we also get uh, something like uh, reserved instances for Fargate. And with a savings plan, you basically commit to a certain amount of spending per hour. Uh, for example, I spend $10 per hour uh, on compute resources with AWS. And then you get a discount, roughly 20% on this amount of money. So you pay $9, but you get $10 of, of compute credits, more or less. And so now the gap between EC2 and Fargate is down to, again, around 35%, I think. So the premium that you pay uh, if you run things on Fargate is 35%, which is, I think that's a more 
uh, or let's say that's a amount of money that you can justify for what you get on top of easy to. So you get the management of the whole container cluster. And so you can pay a little bit for that, but it's not 70% anymore. And so you're saying with the savings plans, which is, um, you know, so it's not just for Fargate, right? It's just for all of compute. And it's um, in many ways going to supplant reserve instances as a concept or uh, I mean, I, I assume that reserve instances is still supported, but it seems like savings plans would make much more sense to use. But it sounds like you no longer need a PhD, right, in accounting to, uh, yeah. to figure out <laughs> how to use the compute. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's much more flexible. And, and the cool thing is that it works. So if you say I commit to $10 of spending per month, it works. It can work for both EC2 and Fargate at mm -hmm. the same time. Nice. So if you plan to migrate your workloads from EC2 to Fargate now, you can still make a one-year or three-year contract with AWS. Uh, and if you are moving your workloads to Fargate in this during this time, um, it, you don't have to adjust your reserved instances um, because the savings plan uh, covers both services at the moment. And I hope that they will add things like Lambda and maybe uh, the Elastic MapReduce and all the other uh, services where we get compute to the servings plans features but then it, it gets really it gets really easy to use then and very and then you have a very flexible options to to switch the the, the layer for compute that you use well very nice so michael as always it's great uh, catching up with you and thanks for sharing everything on rapid docker on aws and all your other insights around aws what are the ways that people can get in touch with you and any other information that might be uh, relevant to our audience yeah, so I I think we will add the, the my Twitter handle to, to the show notes. Um, so that's an easy option. You can also send me an email. We will also add this to, to the show notes. You can also follow us on our blog or the podcast. Uh, yeah, I think that's more than enough options. <laughs> thanks a lot, Michael. And thanks a lot for uh, joining uh, DevOps on AWS Radio. Thank you very much, Paul. For the latest DevOps best practices on AWS, follow our blog at www.stelligent.com slash blog.